Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. It is episode 391, recorded on March 16th, 2016. I'm Josh Walters. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Alan Malentano. I'm Sebastian Peek. And Alan did so, so nice. But we're not bringing Ryan and Ken back. Yeah, that switch yeah. to Sebastian was completely like blind. Like I had to like look. Like, oh no, I gotta click the right place because he doesn't have a button on the thing. You did so good. I'm glad that you're still doing your sonar, man. Uh, when, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is uh, when you're on the submarine. This is how you wear the wear the headset. Yeah, well, thank goodness for all those millions of dollars of training that we gave you. What's funny is like I, I, you do that so you can hear what's going on in the room around you, and there's yes. nobody else here. Like, I'm in a room alone, and yet... Force of habit, but nobody's going to sneak up on you and break through the door. Yeah, I will totally hear them coming. But if you haven't noticed, there are people missing from this particular podcast. Uh, Ryan and Ken, they made the long journey out to San Jose, California, to attend GDC. Right now, they're being wined and dined by Intel, being told about countless amazing things that are going on in the future. Future you and I can't afford. Well, maybe that's not true, but it's the future anyway. But uh, yeah, if you want to uh, talk to us, you can email us at podcast at pcpro.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Ryan Shroud or twitter.com slash pcper. I've got a Twitter, Ryan's got a Twitter, Alan's got one, I think Sebastian too, and Jeremy. Shocking. Look them up, they're all there. Uh, if you would like to join us on Wednesday night and any other spectacular time we decide to post any live contact, you can join our spam list. We won't be distributing that to any interesting sites that could possibly want credit card numbers. No, it's just uh, Sebastian. Every once in a while, he picks out some lucky guy to get a case from his wallow cases. But that's not really true, unless it is. I don't know. But yeah. Join our spam list, get on it, and figure out when we're on by paying attention to email because it's so archaic anymore. Right? Uh, yeah. Anyhow. Uh, we're also on Patreon. So far, we've, we've done okay. Uh, we've, we've hit a couple of milestones. Uh, the one thing we would like to do more is, is hit the next milestone and, and have more of a Q&A type video weekly session with you guys and the readers, uh, we enjoy interacting with you. We'd like to provide more content, and this certainly would help us allow to do such and for your enjoyment. Uh, Patreon is a month-by-month payment system. I'm sure that some of you are, are familiar with it, and uh, if you could, you know, we, we appreciate the, the dollars and cents given to us because it all builds up and it provides for a better overall site, uh, some better payment for the writers, and, and some better content for you the viewer. We appreciate those who have already subscribed, and we welcome those who are interested in subscribing. I feel like I've talked a lot already. And guess what? You're going to talk even more. (laughs) I know. We're going into news and reviews of interest, and of course, the first one is mine. It's all about Josh. To the last stuff? What? Stop. It's all about you. Huh? It's all about the Josh. Yeah. You know, I've been doing some facial scrubs and uh you know really working on not losing any weight and uh, i think that's had an overall positive effect on my appearance i've rounded out those uh, wrinkles now 
It has not helped your Skype latency one bit. That. (laughs) (laughs) That could not have been more perfectly timed. Each word was delayed in the middle of the word. (laughs) It does. I I hate my internet. But, uh, yay, let's let's go on. AMD, they had the capsaicin uh, program on Monday night. And an interesting little... Little tidbit. It was the roadmap with a couple of interesting details on each of the new architectures going from Polaris to Vega to Navi. And that goes through 2018. So the stuff that we've been seeing is Polaris, obviously. Uh, these are two new chips. They're based on 14 nanometer uh, LPP, yeah, low power pro. I can't remember. But anyway, it's. Uh, it's Samsung and Global Foundry's latest process technology. They've got the Polaris 10, which is a bigger chip, and Polaris 11, which is a smaller chip that they had shown off in December and at CES. Uh, the 11, again, it's small, very power efficient. And then the 10, they showed uh, running Hitman, the latest version, on DX12 at 1440p at a solid 60 frames per second. We don't know any settings. It looked like Hitman. It's running DX12. It's silicon. That is actually running. But the interesting things, of course, were the roadmap. Uh, Vega is the next generation. Uh, and it's going to be apparently one of the first with HBM2. This is kind of a surprise to many of us, as Fiji was the first HBM1 product that was released last year. And the this year's Laris, and they mentioned nothing about HBM. Now, HBM1 has some limitations. It's so fast. It's latency. It provides about 500 gigabytes per second of, of bandwidth, but it's limited to 4 gigs. Now, when you're looking at multi-monitor and 4K solutions and some VR stuff and some of the latest games, which will push that 4 gigs, that's kind of being frowned upon by many of that in partners because they want to have at least 8 gigs, if not more. Now, HBM2 provides 16 gigs up to 32 gigs of memory in in a pretty solid package that will be low power, high performance, but we're not there yet. Samsung has started producing HPM2, but we don't know on what kind of volumes. SK Hynix, which is the original partner with AMD to develop HPM technology, they're not starting production till Q3 of this year. So we're not going to see HPM2 products with Polaris as far as we know. It could just very well be that next year's Vega will be the first product that will utilize HBM. Now, um, I went to other kind of um, speculation about what we may see. I mean, certainly the the interesting thing with Vega is HBM. Navi is higher scalability and a next generation memory type, and and they. Didn't say anything else about that. It could be HBM3. could be something else entirely. So I went into some speculation about what we may see. Uh, AMD is about trying to stay with smaller dies. Now, with the 14 nanometer process that we're seeing, so far we have not really seen a large monolithic ASIC of, of any type. They've all been under 200 millimeter square. Uh, most of them have been maybe a max of 120 millimeter square. We look at Intel and their 14 nanometer products, and uh, until 
here in a couple of months when they're releasing the new Xeons, we haven't seen anything more than like 130 nanometers squared on their 14 nanometer process. It kind of seems like these new processes all being very efficient and very dense, they're not very conducive to making big chips effectively, whether that's yields, bins, uh, power across the entire chip. I, I don't know. We don't have any of this information. But it seems like they're focusing on smaller chips and more of them to be able to get the performance they want. Now, with CPUs, it's not as big of a deal because as AMD get 28 nanometer, Intel's got 14, and uh, we haven't seen the big, you know, 40 meg cat, 24 core Xeons uh, yet, and that's probably going to be here in a couple of months. But, uh, you know, Intel has billions to spend process technology and getting these chips out. AMD does not. NVIDIA does not. TSMC, Samsung, Global Foundries, I mean, all of them together can, can put together some good resources, but it's not the same as what Intel can do with, with their product. And frankly, their 14 nanometer process had problems um, and really only now have, have things been kind of improving for them. And uh, there's somebody yelling in the back of my 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 room. Are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah, oh, we're here. No, it's not the voices I in your head. When we can my hear wife it. comes back and catches my doing something really, really naughty because I, I, the screaming starts. I started to try and figure out who that was that had the background thing and try and pot them down. Maybe it was Sebastian's or something, but no, it was yours. And that, that would be my wife. She I could, did very, very well. Couldn't just pot you down while you were talking and kind of be no. No, you could have. We could have just, yeah. you know, just don't tell him. Yeah, yeah. I'm quietly sorry. move on while he's still talking. <laughs> I'll, I'll share this later with her. But anyway, um, so it seems like they're focusing on on smaller chips, and the problem with that is is that you're not going to get these top of the line performance that you could get with 28 nanometers, where you can produce a 600 millimeter square chip like Fiji nearly was. Um, we have known for a while that interposer technology is not just memory. You can do multiple chips on an interposer. And I think Brent Briarwood, I can't remember his name, he was a guy from AMD back in 2012 uh, when we were talking about interposer technology. He talked about being able to place very, very disparate chips on a single interposer and have that work as a unit. So, for instance, you may have one portion that doesn't need to be a smaller process technology. It can be uh, like an RF type uh, or an analog converter type chip that, that can be a higher uh, process, but you've got also some compute that needs to be a smaller. Now, instead of trying to spend all this time getting everything to work on one process node, you can utilize a more specific process and, and, and how it's, it's worked uh, for each individual section and then put them all on this interposer and have a high-speed, low-latency interconnect between them and be able to get that to work as a whole a lot easier and more effectively than to take all the time and just get it all on one chip. Um, some things just don't need, need these you know, lower-power uh, process technologies uh, some things like you know FDSOI uh, for for analog style chips and, and RF. So <clears throat> AMD could potentially be using an interposer to put multiple GPUs on one and then kind of sell it as a single product. I mean, there there are certainly hurdles 
to cross to get this to work effectively. But when we look at the past couple of years, how they've handled Crossfire, uh, multi-GPU on a single PCB, um, heck, you can even look at their CPUs, which the Opterons have used two dies on the same substrate and connected uh, you know, via, via their interconnect. Gosh, why can't I remember their hypertransport? Yeah. Uh, and they've been doing that for years. So potentially we could see them put a bunch of smaller dies on a single poser and sell that as a higher-end card. And then they're going to have better margins because, simply put, smaller dies have better yields typically. Um, they're easier to develop. You don't have billions and billions of transistors. You just develop each individual chip that has maybe a quarter of, of what a big chip would and then put four them together. You may not get the scaling that uh, you hope, but certainly if, if they've dotted their I's and crossed their T's, you're going to get better performance. Um, I have no idea if it's going to actually be in Polaris where they will do this. Or if you look at the uh, slide, uh, Navi has scalability underneath it as as uh, something they're working for. So maybe in 2018, we will actually see that kind of, you know, put multiple chips on the interposer, have them all work together and sing Kumbaya to have great graphics performance. But a lot of interesting things were said about, uh, you know, in, in uh, Capsaicin. Uh, Ryan had a really good interview with Raja afterwards and some of this information from that. And I, in fact, asked Raja a rather simple question, and he was happy to reply over Twitter. So I, I have that embedded in the uh, article as well. So I'll need to read that, go over some of the things, leave some comments, be happy to answer them, and, and certainly be happy to help you know, speculate along with you. Uh, any of you guys have any opinions about this stuff? Anybody? I want to see if we get some low-power uh, AMD ARM CPUs on there, too. Same sort of idea. Skip the fabric. Go for the interconnect. Hey, I think I think I managed to fix the Sebastian button. Let's see. Nope. No, nope. Still not Sebastian. That Josh. does not look like Surprise. Sebastian. Oh, well. Hmm. hmm. It can just be Josh's face in my voice. Yeah. And Josh can just, like, mime whatever I'm saying. Yeah, I can lip sync. Yeah. I've ah. done that. Just call uh, anyway, him Millie Vanilli. He also has the X-Connect technology for external graphics. Who's got this number? I posted it. I can take it. Please. So, Razer, maker of gaming peripherals and now gaming laptops, has this thing called... The core, which I think we're going to be talking about a little bit later. And what's really cool is that AMD and Razer work together on this new external GPU tech that AMD is calling X-Connect. And it is natively built into the latest Radeon graphics drivers to support graphics over Thunderbolt 3. Now, you have to meet all these qualifications, and I'll actually cheat here and look at the list because it was... Very specific things you had. As long as you had the latest Radeon software, which at this point was 16.2.2 or later, you have to have Thunderbolt 3, so that's obviously limiting you a little bit. Uh, the Thunderbolt 3 firmware has to be a specific version. You have to have a the, basically the newest build of Windows 10, build 10, 586 or later. And then the BIOS has to, uh, for external graphics, uh, has to be supported um, for it to work. And there has to be a, a certified graphics enclosure. This graphics enclosure from Razer, the core, is certified. It meets all these qualifications. So it just works. And it works with 
up to a 375-watt GPU. As long so, as it isn't water-cooled. Yeah. Like, the enclosure itself, the design of it, apparently doesn't have support for that external radiator that the Fury X ships with. Uh, but it will support all the R9 300 series cards. You can put a little R9 Nano in it, of course. You can put R9 Furies in it. Anything air-cooled. And Radeon will go in this thing. So... And the the power supply in it is sufficient for any of the single GPU AMD cards that I'm aware of, 375 watts. I don't know if it supports any kind of overclocking. I don't know what kind of interface you'd have to that. But certainly stock GPUs all the way up to the 390X fit in this thing, run off of its built-in power supply, and connect to a compatible device over Thunderbolt 3. And you get that 40, is it gigabit per second Thunderbolt 3? Now, is that sufficient to give you the full bandwidth of a Buy 16, like a PCI Gen 3 card? 40 Gosh, gigabits per second? Uh, I think it need to be more like 40 gigabytes to be like... Well, let's see. Buy 16, uh, 3.0 Buy 16? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like... What was it? Two fifty, then five hundred, then a thousand. So yeah, so sixteen gigabit. So that that was yeah, like sixteen gigabit. Yeah. Not that oh, a okay. graphics card pushes that. You need a SSD to do that. No, no, it's, it's sixteen gigabyte per second. I'm sorry, yeah. of uh, by sixteen for sixteen with, lanes. Um, yeah, with PCI three point So yeah, now, most cards don't really use more than eight lanes at Gen three, right? As far as what they're actually pushing. That was my only question about this was, as, as cool as this is, is that enough bandwidth, just a single cable? Because you'd think there might be like a yep. dual cable solution at some point. Or especially yeah, even with a bit of overhead topples. from what? talking so, back and forth. Well, I mean, if you, have a, if you just have one GPU in a system, then it's using by 16 but that, even if it's not using the full throughput, uh, all that does is help keep the latency a little bit lower at the interface because it has such a wide pipe to get the data across as opposed to like a slightly narrower one. Right, you know. Yeah, uh, that was my only concern about this was if it could push enough bandwidth. But certainly, the idea of having an external solution that could go just into like a thin and light laptop, like the Razer laptops that they were showing, are pretty small, and you can get one with just like modest graphics that wouldn't really be great for gaming. But if you brought this home, connected it to this core using X Connect, and then had, say, like a nice big external gaming monitor, you could have this as your primary system that you took everywhere with you, you brought home. You wouldn't have to have two PCs. So at that point, the only concern would be, is your CPU going to be the bottleneck? I do have a question on this, though. Have we heard someone say that name of this on a video or something other than, like, written? Because I think it might be CrossConnect. Really? Because, like, it's AMD, right? They have CrossFire. And so, like, this might be... And, like, Crosspoint... Like X point uh, memory is actually spoken cross point, so maybe this might be cross connect. I don't know. Just a hunch. That just sounds bad, electrically speaking. Oh, the to, to, to <laughs> cross connect stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. I just. I don't know. I just like it's. It can go either way. I just. Uh, there's. There's no much like Josh. Uh, yeah. And besides, this way where they can release XCon too. <laughs> oh, XCon 2. 
Oh, and hey, next up, we had a related story to this, uh, which I believe Jeremy put up, about the new Razer Blade gaming laptop. Oh, Jeremy. I, I deny all knowledge of this whatsoever, as you I'm pasting prob- the link up. You probably don't remember making the post. You could have been drunk. <laughs> no, that was the problem. I was sober. I never remember anything oh. when I was sober. Uh, yeah, so the Razer Blade gaming notebook, uh, I mean, the biggest thing about it is that uh, it brings the price of that uh, Razer add an external graphics card down by 100 bucks if you buy it together. It's pretty much an iteration of the last one that we saw go through. Uh, you're still looking at an i7-6700HQ with uh, 16 gigs of DDR4 and a 97 or 970M, which some people hate, some people love. But, I mean, if it's a gaming laptop, you got to stick a GPU in it regardless of if you've got an external or not. And the 970M is pretty much the way to go. Uh, apart from that, it's a 14-inch display with uh, 3200 by 1800. So it's got the nice uh, wide, uh, it's got a 16 by 9 resolution or hey, and it's aspect IGZO. ratio on it. It's an IGZO display. Yes, it is an IGZO display, which I'm interested to see because I don't think I've ever actually seen an IGZO display in the, lo- in the live. So we'll see just IRL. how well it does. What do you want? A, what do you want an IRL display, Sebastian? Is that what you're talking about? No, but he hasn't seen an IRL. No, I have yeah, not seen Xgo IRL. Xgo. One day I will. One I haven't I'll... either. But as you're going to expect, the the razor blades never come cheap. Uh, the price difference is actually based on the SSD that they're using, which is either two thousand for a two hundred fifty six gig uh, PCIe SSD, or twenty two hundred for the five hundred and twelve. And an extra 200 bucks on a PCIe SSD is not absolutely ridiculous. It's not wonderful, but it's not absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's, a, it's, and, an, extra, it's an extra 200 bucks for an extra 256 gig, so it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's high, but, I mean, it's probably like... But it's not like you're buying a, a normal SSD. You're, you're getting a PCIe one. Yeah, it's probably and, NVMe. Yes. You know, all that stuff, yeah. So, I mean, I mean it hurts, but it, it could hurt in a good way. As I mentioned, since it is compatible with uh, the new Razer Blade dock, it does have a full-on USB Type-C 3.1, which is compatible with uh, Thunderbolt 3.0, and it's got to be one of the nastiest ways of trying to describe port right now, because, well, it could be Type-C 3.0 or Type-C 3.1, and it might have the extra stuff for DisplayPort, or it might not, or it might have for Thunderbolt or not. Hmm? No, I said, how about the Type-C 3PO? It is Waiting fully for that C3PO one. compliant. Yeah. That, that might be anyway. trademarked by somebody else. Maybe they might have beat them to it. Mm, three ports out. I like this. Yeah. That, that could actually work for the full-on ones. I, apart from that, you, you're going to get a 165-watt power brick, which probably weighs about as much as the laptop does. Uh, and a huge list of really good, interesting features if you're the type that can drop two grand on a gaming laptop. Even with the added argument that for an extra $400, you can plug in whatever external graphics card you would like and use it as your main gaming system, which does make it a little bit more attractive. Because you ain't going to see this connection on too many systems for a little bit. All right. Anyone else? You got anything on that one? I got no. I guess the only question, kind of from comments, was if they could have released it with maybe a lower power GPU. But then you run into the argument, like, well, what if somebody just wants to use this as a dedicated gaming laptop? Then the 9970M is is a good option. But if oh, this well, was I think 
especially I think you'd be insane docking, to do that. You'd want to go down to like a 960 maybe and save some cash. Oh, no, I think you'd be insane to do that. I think if you're going to do that, you just drop the gaming laptop from it. You use onboard graphics with the plug-in for external. Ah, you chop a, a huge amount off of the price tag, and yet you still don't take away any of the gaming power, assuming you're actually sitting at home with your dock. I could see them doing that. I don't know if they do like a 950 or a 960 trim down because you don't actually save all that much money when it comes down to it. We shall see. Yes, we shall. In further news, AMD announces the Sulong Q, the Sulong wireless VR headset, which it's not exactly the first wireless VR headset because some other guys have that one, like Samsung. But this is the first one that actually uses an x86 processor. Uh, I believe it, it actually uses AMD's 35-watt or 25-watt. I think it's 35-watt. It's 35, uh, yeah. 35-watt Carrizo processor. It's a full x86 PC that sits on your face. Please tell me that the thing in the back is actually the, the, the radiator. I don't. No, like amazing but, if that was like liquid cooled and then the part that yeah, sits and the around your in the head back. is like the tubing for the liquid cooling loop. You have to wonder about thermals on this because even though if this is like a, a notebook Top. part, like that 35 watt, it's being branded an FX 8800P processor, which it sounds like an APU though. It's four core CPU uh, and I think 880P. Eight, yeah, it's eight GPU cores. Four cores. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the Carrizo, full Carrizo part that is included in laptops. And, uh, yeah, and laptops. And that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a low-power device, but still, 35 watts is a lot. It's 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 got plenty of juice to push things, but we don't know enough about uh, the screens involved, uh, what kind of applications. We saw one that was, you know, kind of cool, the AR1 of, of Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, where... If you look at the the, uh, the the headset, it's got lenses here and lenses on the side and lenses top and bottom. And so it takes pictures of, of the area around you so it can do effective um, you know, uh, AR as well as the, the full VR. But uh, if you want, you know, you should go watch the little video. It's, it's a little simplistic in, in story and what you do, but you can see how kind of fun and, and the potential of these products are. Um, again, we, we don't know anything about battery life. We don't know anything about battery power. We don't know how much it weighs. We don't know how much heat it does. We don't know if you have to sing, get on my face and tell me that you love me to get it to turn on. I don't know these things. Hey, it uses experimental but, uh, forehead uh, cooling technology. Head on. Uses Apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> Just pumps its heat directly into Sulon. the skin. Right? If you look at the, the specs, forehead. though, like this thing would be an impressive machine on its own. It's got a 256 gig SSD, eight gigs of RAM, a 2560 by 1440 OLED display, 90 hertz, and built-in like 3D audio, which I'm assuming it's projecting like around you. So, I mean that. So that chip with that low of a power, like to maintain 90 frames per second that scenes can't can't possibly be that complicated right like what you know you can you can do it but you're going to have very simple graphics as compared to what you're going to see on oculus and others where you've got to have a really mean machine being able to push out 90 frames per second 
keep that up. Uh, this really seems more geared towards AR than VR, as far as horsepower. Yeah. yeah, more geared towards AR than VR. So like more along the lines of like having an overlay of cool stuff over the right which is that or... the demo that i watched the jack and the beanstalk demo that's more ar like it's it's using the room but then there's like this beanstalk that kind of appears so from the stick floor the stickers over top of the two cameras as much as it would look great <laughs> <laughs> all right but still it's 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 a cool little product. Uh, they're they're breaking some new ground, and certainly it is leading us to worlds to come. Just um, how well it's going to do, how well it's going to be accepted, and what kind of software we're going to see for the Sulon Q. Also, the releases the dual Fiji card Radeon Pro Duo uses full two Fiji chips with eight gigs of HBM memory in total. And they are targeting VR developers for fifteen hundred bucks. Who wants to grab this one? Not me. Seems a little uh, pricey. It and is. Uh, it's basically though, you're getting two nanos in this thing. If you look at the compute spec here, it's um, sixteen teraflops. Each nano is just over eight teraflops. I think it was like eight point. Let's see. It says here eight point one nine teraflops each. So. Originally, we had thought that the Fiji like X2 card was going to be basically two of these nanos. Maybe even air-cooled, we didn't know. But you're dealing with a little bit more sophisticated of like a liquid cooling technology here. You've got like dual um, blocks and some, you know, like a, a really thick-looking 120 millimeter, I'm guessing 120 millimeter radiator with this. And a very aggressive looking fan. So we have to wonder what thermals are going to be like. But this aesthetically, it's using the same uh, industrial design as the Fury X. It just looks like a longer Fury X, like a standard reference length card. And you've got. Apart from those all three 8 pin power connectors. Yeah, three 8 yeah, yeah. pin power connectors. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that thing might be kind of a space heater on its own. Well, it's going to be 300 watts easy. Well, when yeah. we first saw the photos, we were easy. And, <laughs> How many uh, BTU is that? No, well, I mean, two nanos are around 175. So you have some really nice chips that can run at that level, and, and you probably clock them a little bit lower than the nanos. And, yeah, you can do it. You can pull out that kind of that kind of heat. I mean, that's that's the same 120-watt kind of cooler that they include with the 220-watt uh, uh, CPUs. And that does perfectly fine with those puppies. So. I'm thinking this will be able to draw more than 300 watts, though, because like even like two six-pin connectors can handle 300 watts, right? No, no, it's 225. Yeah, two six-pin. Yep, six oh. pins are what 75, 75 each? watts. Yeah, uh, so, so, so 150 plus board power. Is two six-pins. So then, uh, what's Three the max? Three pins yeah. are like 400 watts. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the thing is like if I can add like the Josh mentioned the uh, FX like the ninety five ninety CPU that ships with one of these big hundred twenty millimeter rads, but I tested a ninety five ninety and I moved all the way up to a H one hundred five with full fans, and I still couldn't keep that thing from throttling under load if I pushed it hard enough. Like if I ran, you know, Prime ninety five on it or something, it would always always throttle back on at least some of the cores. So 
you would have to think if if it becomes like thermally constrained at all because of using just a single width uh, loop, then you might have it either is scaled back a little bit as far as clock speed or it will throttle itself. But I guess we'll see. Plus, you could always do like push pull fans, like mount this to an uh, a uh, exhaust fan. Yeah, I mean but, that rod is thicker than the car is. Like that it, is. A it very looks like thick at least a thirty-eight millimeter thick radiator, yeah. and I haven't really ever seen a fan. Like the fan on it does not look like a, a typical case fan. It looks almost like a cross between a blower fan and a regular exhaust fan. So I'm guessing it can move so a lot is, of air. This is not really entirely meant for the average user, especially at a fifteen hundred dollar price point. And people have asked them, "Is like." You know, I can get these nanos for five hundred bucks. Why wouldn't I just get those? And they're like, "Well, you probably should." I mean, this is for people who want to do single slot type development or putting these out to these universities, as well as as uh, you know, working with CryEngine to uh, to get to just seed the marketplace and the future programmers these products so they can learn and the industry and, and start applying the things they've learned there. So it's um, it's going to be a pretty hot card, I imagine, and it's pricey, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many they actually sell into the consumer market space. There will be people who will buy it. I mean, people oh, yeah. buy Titans. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's it's more aimed towards the uh, the VR professional so anyway, are we ready to go on to the next one? Yeah. Who watched this video? I did. Do I, you want to talk about it? Do you remember anything I don't, from it? I don't do remember any of it, but I watched the video. Oh, uh, okay. It was, it was a good video. Yeah, well, you know, Ryan uh, had the chance to sit down with uh, Raja Kaduri after the capsaicin event, and they, you know, snuggled up in a nice little corner stall and got all comfy and cozy on the couch and at each other us it was all very heartwarming and, and and a wonderful thing but they actually recorded it and ryan asked yes some pretty good questions uh they talked about moving past crossfire which i kind of described uh in in using the interposer multi-chip uh, modules uh they talked about uh you know how how they're moving towards smaller gpu dies and we don't know if this is a physical limitation with 14 nanometer process where it just doesn't work well with, with big GPU dies or if it's just kind of a conscious decision by AMD to say, hey, let's invest in these smaller products. Let's do them right. Let's get them out faster instead of getting these huge monolithic things, trying to troubleshoot them, getting to work, and then you know struggling with, with uh, the found uh, to get them fabricated. And I think that, you know again, leads into... The interposer and multiple chips on on a module. Um, HBM2 talked a little bit about that and where it's sitting and and how that relates to next generation products, where it may sit with current stuff. Well, not current, but at least Polaris. And yeah, there's just a ton of information there. It's about a 12 minute video. They talk about many things. Uh, they seem to be having a good time. Raj is always a good guy to talk to, so uh, you, you want to that out as soon as you can all right all right who wrote about the 1080 this guy you that guy it seems like there's only two people writing here anymore 
Yeah, and Josh. Not why me. is that? Oh, wait, you wrote something. Never mind. Sebastian, tell us about the potential next GPU from NVIDIA called the GTX 1080. Well, I'd love to, Josh, because Do you my sources. That to play on a 1080 screen? Your sources? Yes. You have sources? My well, sources well, on the internet have told me some very interesting things about the upcoming GPU. Now, we've been speculating about what it'll be called, and uh, videocards.com had a report that was uh, via Benchlife, which is a Chinese-language website that often has these rumors. And Video Cards was pretty confident in the legitimacy of these, even though they at first were skeptical because they didn't like the 1080 naming. They're like, no, this is not legitimate. That's not what it's going to be called. So they're calling it the 1080-1800-GTX card, which they think will be launching May 27th. That's the Benchlife report. So... Here's kind of what they're looking at for this card. Uh, it's going to be using GDDR5X, not HBM. And I know there was some discussion about whether it was really confirmed GDDR5X or GDDR5, but I can't imagine them launching a card that didn't at least have the GDDR5X, which is essentially what? Uh, is it? Five plus. Like, it's like a double data rate memory equivalent well it's still it's still very similar to gddr5 except they doubled the chunks of prefetch that you can get so it was from 30 bits to 64 bits they didn't improve actual bandwidth all that much from what i gather but it's more effective in grabbing large chunks at a time and so you're going to get some improvements in overall performance but AMD and NVIDIA, who knows if they're going to actually go with that direction. Or they may just stick with GDDR5, or we could have some variants with Fox. But uh, it, it is an incremental improvement over GDDR5. And let's just leave it at that. Yeah, so like if you increase the prefetch like that, just in storage terms, like your it won't be as nimble for like small random accesses to that memory, but chances are GPUs like this with, you know, four or eight or six or some, you know, multiple gigabytes of of uh, memory and very large te- textures for, you know, modern day games or whatnot, um, probably don't really need to do small random that much. They're probably like, even though it's doing a random access type of thing, like the majority of its I.O. is sequential and like very large. So, you know, increasing that prefetch would definitely help it out there. There wasn't really a lot of other info about it from these rumors, just kind of like time frames, like Pascal supposedly launching in April. They think that Jinsing Wan will have an announcement, and then this supposed GTX part will be launching at the end of May, and it will be based on GP104 with 8 gigabytes of GDDR5X or GDDR5. It only has one 8-pin power connector, and it would be about... Uh, did they even give an estimate on power? I guess it could be like 225 250 watts. Watt. So no no idea about, you know, core clock speed, memory bandwidth, any of that kind of stuff. Like right now, G- the GTX 980 Ti, you're dealing with something that has 2,816 CUDA cores. It's got 384-bit memory bus, 250-watt part. 
So you would think that the move from six to eight gigs of memory makes sense, 256 bit bus, but very few details about this, just that it's coming and we'll be hearing something soon. I hope that the GTX gets the, the P designation, and when they come out with the GT models, it'll get the I designation. <laughs> Does anyone remember 1080i? Interleave and progressive scan. Trying to forget. Interleaving. Are, are you talking about <laughs> HD DVDs? <laughs> yeah. Jeremy? In glorious 1080i. Mm hmm. <sighs> Wait, HD DVD was 1080i? I thought it was 1080p, but. No. No, I thought it was 1080i. Yes, it, it was. That was the limitation. It didn't have the same band. There wasn't as much capacity, and it was lower. No, um, it was 25 gigs, and people right. were able to adjust it and still do 1080p. True I didn't story. think the HD really, DVD player output HD, 1080p. HD DVD player. It could do it. They, they, the where, maybe they, where they had the big limitation. Sorry to go on a segue, but maybe they updated where, it after. But the they fact, had right? the big limitation was sound. Yeah. The chat is saying it was 1080p. Oh, shit. You're right. It was the sound, too, wasn't it? The sound... Okay, the uncompressed audio uh, definitely was an advantage to Blu-ray. But I think it was more just like an industry standards thing. Like, which movie studios went to what? And then Sony ended up getting enough that she... They had, like, DTS Plus and Dolby yeah. Digital Right, Plus, DTS... They, uh, they couldn't do the true audio. DTS and the HD Dolby... Yeah. It's Dolby, Dolby True HD, HD and DTS Master Audio, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Which is uncompressed. Yeah, it's 24-bit, 48 kilohertz audio. Yeah. Oh, the good old anyway. days. Anyway. Yes. Long live HD DVD. MSI, they shipped the Vortex cylindrical gaming PC for high-end for high-end specs. <laughs> it's the PC built exactly. for high-end specs. Hey, high Josh, specs. the last time you thought about building a, a high-end gaming computer, you were like, hey, you were in the bathroom. It's where you do most of your thinking. And you looked over at the bathroom trash can. You're like, why don't I put all of my components inside of that trash can? Wait, wait, wait. Somebody somebody did this before. I, it could yeah, Somebody work. did this before. I thought, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then they overclocked it uh, with a water cooler system into the reservoir of the toilet. It, it was a thing. <laughs> oh, wait, just, all just, without leaving the bathroom. just keep flushing it, right? It's like, <laughs> I want my game to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that bathroom, that water is cool. You know, the, yep. the tank, it, it just sits there. It sits there doing nothing all day. Put that bathroom tank to work. And uh, as a side, pro- uh, a side effect, you get a warm toilet seat. It, it seems... Perfect it's a win-win. Listen, win people pay situation. a lot of money for for toilets that can have like preheated seats. So, yeah, like a lot. So you get it for free? Yeah. Well, no, you got to spend fifteen hundred bucks on the Pro Duo. But... Over, overclock your toilet, folks. So amid amid cries that this is an overpriced machine, I would challenge you to find a way to build something this small with anything that you can find off the shelf. So unfortunately, when you have something that's very, very customized like this, using a custom PCB with a Z170 chipset that somehow fits inside of a 6.5 liter enclosure and houses two full-size GPUs that are all mounted to this center-mounted, very Apple Mac Pro-esque cooling system where you have like a heat sink in the middle that's triangular and the 
parts are all mounted around it, and you have like this fan that pulls the air up from the bottom and out the top. So it's 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 a, there's a lot of engineering involved, and you can get one of these at full retail for twenty one ninety nine. These are twenty two hundred dollar computers, and that gets you a Core i seven sixty seven hundred K, sixteen gigs of DDR four memory, SLI GTX nine sixties, and like helps a, pay for the legal fees when Apple sues them. Yeah, I think the external the external look of this isn't anywhere close, but I mean that cooling system, I don't know if they have any patents on that or not. If it's Apple, of course, they probably attempted to patent every part of the process as they went along, but this thing is ten and a half inches tall and it's about seven and a half inches across. So it's very small. It would fit pretty much anywhere. Mm. Anywhere. And, and they don't skimp on storage either. Like I was looking at the storage. One of the storage options is called Super Raid. And Super Raid consists of four 256-gigabyte PCIe Gen 3 by 4 SSDs. Yeah, no one's ever done that before. Wait, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. Four? <laughs> Said four. But then I, Obviously, no board. Is there even a board that exists right now that has four M.2 slots on it? Not that can boot from that. Because there's only 12 PCIe lanes on Z170 that can uh, that can be rated. And so I wonder if it's really just two 512 gigabyte PCIe drives, or if that's a misprint. But on all the literature, and I went to their site, it said 4x. I, I swear. So I don't know. It seemed crazy though. Like four in like a Death Wish RAID zero would be pushing the limits of what the chips that could even provide in bandwidth if you're using like 950 pros right if you're using 950 pros you actually you peg the chipset like a little bit over two of them uh, yeah so four would be know. pointless except for the added storage well, no, capacity it, it, it would you get extra capacity and you get uh your latency stays much lower much more often under demand because the the ios are getting spread across more drives so um you know we actually saw that when we did that um Oh, what was that? Uh, Z170 SOC Force gigabyte board review with the triple. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's the board I use for my table PC. That's right? I was I was looking over at the table <laughs> as I was trying to remember the name of that hey, board. Power that thing on and tell me how it runs. Uh, actually, I don't think we put, I don't think we put the. Uh, we didn't put a cooler on it. No, we didn't put a cooler on the CPU. Just crank the AC up no, and turn it on. No, no, it needs a cooler. It needs a cooler on the CPU. That's for the after show. <sighs> yeah, but uh. So I'm Actually, one, of the, one like, of the uh, commenters here in the chat asked if it was, uh, let's see, Ping Jockey said, is it a, a RAID controller or soft RAID? I wonder if you used a RAID card or some sort of RAID controller, then you could possibly get more. The, well, then you're, you're up against the limit on PCIe lanes. So the problem is that there does not yet exist an NVMe hardware RAID controller. Until now, because until like, this MSI nobody's, nobody's computer, I don't. I don't think that you know they have know. invented the technology. Maybe, Alan. maybe they figured out some. Maybe they're only using by two for each. Do you understand what custom SSD? means? Yeah, I know, I know. But the chipset only has the lanes to it's do. It's called Super RAID. Yeah, it defies yeah, logic. Silicon image to come back from the dead and, and do SATA <laughs> controllers no, again. No, 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 That's, no. No, it's Acer Labs. Uh, yeah. Come on, you remember Silicon Image. Uh, now I'm really curious what this thing's using, so maybe we'll have to ask him. Well, they something. could be fudging. You know those PCIe cards you saw, which were essentially two M.2 
hello. Close Whoa. up. <laughs> <laughs> two M.2 Alan, uh, I don't know why SSDs that on a single PCIe card. And I totally didn't just zoom you back out either. No, that was uh, Logitech just deciding to be helpful. <laughs> oh, it's not it. <laughs> it was just falling his face just out of nowhere. Yeah. But so maybe they're cheating that way. So you got two PCIe cards, each with two M.2s in it. Uh-huh. So technically that's four, but it isn't. Yeah, I get the technically it's four. The problem is that you couldn't like boot from that and have all four of them in the right at the not, same eh? time. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Like, there's just no... The software is not there, and the firmware is not there, unless maybe Intel spun something custom for them for whatever this board is in there. Or there's a big asterisk, and that's for storage only. They're like, you know, we have this Super RAID. It's the fastest storage for your Steam library you'll ever have. Uh, yeah. Your that, cold storage, uh, man, will be the fastest on the planet. Yeah. So that, that game library that you only ever load at, like, Q-Depth 1, <laughs> sure, you really need to, like, four-way RAID that sucker. <sighs> <laughs> Four way. Anyway, so that aside, I mean that is impressive. Like you know, if you're somehow doing 16 lanes of uh, NVMe storage. Did you stop by MSI, Alan? You were there, right? You saw the uh, Vortex in person. Uh, no, what? you were with the storage guys. CES. Yeah, I was with the I was with the storage you were guys. Samsung or something. So you didn't let us take it apart. Yeah. So they you didn't. guys. So you guys saw it in person at CES, then, huh? Yeah. It's it's basically the size of a Mac Pro. Uh, I would love for them to send us the top-end model so that you can take it apart and tell us exactly what's going on with the storage in there. Is it, uh, is it only the top-end model that does the four-way? Uh... I'm not sure. I, you might be able to order it with that. Like the, one, the pre-configured ones on Amazon and Newegg were, I think, that just you had to get the $4,000 model to get the top-end stuff. Huh. And I think it's safer for us to just ask them what they're doing. <laughs> I just tell them to send it. We might give right. it back well, let's move along. Are you finished? Are you done? Yeah, yeah, Josh, you like go ahead. what you said? I don't uh, care. Uh, anyway. Hey, uh, meet the new Intel Skull Trail. It's their nook. They're changing the game. Who wrote this one up? Because it wasn't oh, me. was me. Oh, Uh-oh. Jeremy, let's hear it. That, it, it it's, I'm the only bastard that would do that to people and show <laughs> a dual <laughs> GPU or a dual <laughs> CPU board. Because it isn't technically the Skull Trail at Skull Canyon, but this was just something that I, I was like, I remember a motherboard like that that died horribly like the AMD Quad Effects did. I was 2008. You know, Jeremy, really? I saw this post after it went up, and I'm like, oh, only Jeremy. Of course. Yeah. I'm looking but, for, like, oh, I want to read the details about this new, oh, what's this motherboard? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, but don't be too disappointed. Because Skull Canyon is pretty nifty. Uh, we all remember those first generation nooks and just how utterly and completely disappointing they were. They, they were almost unusable for anything as a point of sales machine. Since then, Intel has sort of changed the brand around. They've made it impressive. And this one is actually damn sexy. Uh, you've got a full-on i7-6700HQ in there with Iris Pro 6, or 5800 graphics. So it's not skimping on graphics for this tiny little machine. It'll do up to 32 gigs of DDR4-2133. Again, nice to see on such a small form factor machine I, that you're not stuck with 16 gigs as an absolute top. It's also the first machine that I am aware of that is going to have a USB Type-C 3PO on it. 
And by that, I mean three ports out, as Josh pointed to earlier. It will yeah. function as USB. It will function as Thunderbolt 3.0, up to and including using the external graphics enclosure that we've been talking about, and I'll tell you about prices in a minute, and DisplayPort 1.2, all off of that one USB-C connection. We've been promised this for a while. We're actually going to see it uh, at the end of or uh, yeah, towards uh, May. You can order it in April. It will be actually available in May. This is nifty. This is this is a connector that I can really get behind. I I, I still have bad memories of S video and breaking pins. This one, apart from you know the cables and machines catching fire occasionally from crappy cords, is a wonderful thing. If you do decide to go with the external graphics and tie up this. Then you've also got HDMI 2.0 and uh, a, another DisplayPort 1.2 uh, coming straight out of the back of the box so that you can still use uh, the Razer Edge. Uh, other than that, it ships with M.2 slots. Uh, so I believe the storage uh, for the 256 gig model will be about $1,000. If you want it naked, it's about 650 Again, you know... A little bit pricey, but then again, considering the form factor, it ships with a plain black front case, uh, the skull style that you see there, and is fully supportable with anything you want to 3D print uh, as long as you make it up to the specs. So it's 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 not the old nook. This is a really impressive little device. And, uh, it, oh, sorry, it's... Skip over. It's also got uh, support for up to a uh, 256 gig SD or no 512 gig uh, SD card slot. So a little bit slower storage, but very handy for shoving stuff in if you want to look at a slideshow. And it also has an IR receiver in it. So if you've spent a lot of money on the Harmony or one of the other remotes, you will be able to use this as an HTPC. And when you want to sit there and game, you just plug in that Razer Core Extreme, and away you go. It's it's nice to see a nook like this. And just to quickly re leap into it, since these, we've been talking about it, we'll finally let you know. So the Razer Core that we've been talking about, the external GPU enclosure that will handle any modern GPU short of a water-cooled ones, essentially, is going on sale very soon, and it's going to be 500 bucks. So if you buy the expensive nook, you're also going to be spending 500 bucks on an extra Razer Core. You buy it with the laptop we mentioned earlier. It's only four or three ninety nine, so it's a little bit cheaper. But we've been talking about external GPUs for years, debating so like whether or not they're actually possible. It looks like it's going to be a thing very soon. Seems awfully pricey, though. It does. It really laptop. does. Like, but that's, when that's you're the only a lot of GPUs cost, you know. Yeah, but you're the only game in town. Where, where else are you going to get this? You're going to stay the only game in town, I guess, or, or not sell uh, Until that someone comes out with a cut rate one. Yeah, they would have to. Because honestly, kind of, it, it's kind of in that um, Apple accessory pricing range. Like if you go to an Apple specific, like Mac Mall or something, and look at external Thunderbolt anything, prices on those enclosures are outrageous. You can spend $300 on just an empty, like two bay PCIe enclosure or more. There's like $500 ones, I think, for two bay that don't come with any drives. So to get a full size Thunderbolt 3 uh, enclosure with power supply for a GPU, I'm not surprised at this pricing just as a Thunderbolt device. Because if in you know recent memory, Thunderbolt accessories were almost always like Mac centric. Yeah. PC finally has Thunderbolt, you know, on more and more motherboards. But 
And I haven't priced uh, one of the US or the Thunderbolt 3 or 3.1 cords recently, but oh, when yeah. last I looked, they were incredibly expensive. Uh, does this thing come with the cord at least? Do we know? I don't know. I would hope so. With a I little bit of razor on branding the, on it. Uh, well, I think on the video, I'll have to go back to that X uh, or cross whatever that external GPU technology was called. That video, I think he said it did include a cord, but I have to double check. Still, I mean, what is that? A $50 cord? You know, if you're already spending 500 bucks, what's another 50 Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. And if, if you it. go to that's, the site, uh, the pictures on this post about the core external enclosure pricing and availability, uh, Ryan took himself with his cell phone. And we added them to the news post because you can see the thing in action and you can see it running off of that fancy new nook off of Thunderbolt 3 in the second picture. All right. Super. Well, you know what? That's the end of the news and things that we're talking about officially. Uh, Yeah, we got a few minutes here. Let's take some Q&A. I'm going to let Alan take this off because my internet connection sucks. Uh-oh. Me so if you have any some... questions for Alan, Sebastian, Jeremy, myself, then uh, let's talk about it. Did Alan, did you uh, get your your testing done this evening? I did. Uh, the piece probably won't go up till tomorrow, though, because I, okay. had to, I had to kill a bunch of time trying to make all this, uh, you know, I had to shake a bunch of chicken bones around the office because the, podcasts and get all the what podcast else stuff new? working uh because it totally did not want to cooperate but um so uh we got in the new um it's kind of new it's the same model so one terabyte samsung sent me a one terabyte 850 evo and we already had a one terabyte 850 evo the difference is i don't have a terabyte one 850. Okay, email. but we did. We can was... solve this problem for you, Alan, very easily. Well, well, Alan. No, no, no. See, they're two different. They're actually Alan. two different SSDs. Okay. So the first one was the old one when it first came out, like last year, uh, and that used 32-layer VNAN. And then the new one that they just sent me used not the same flash. It's 48-layer, uh, meaning it has more capacity per die. It has, like, I think half the number of dies to get the same one terabytes of capacity. So uh, I was doing a bunch of testing, and uh, well, since this podcast probably won't be up for a couple of days until uh, Ken and Ryan get back, and the guys on the live stream, they just kind of get the goods you know, early. I might as well just talk about it on this one, and uh, I guess we'll talk about it briefly again next week. But uh, what I was seeing was I was doing my crazy latency percentile testing on it because the simple tests don't show any difference. So basically, you know, sequential reads, sequential writes, uh, addo, just simple kind of tests. There's really hard to see differences there. Uh, but when I did the latency percentile testing, which includes like lower Q depths, Q depths like one and two, um, which is, you know, whenever your OS just hits the SSD just briefly and it just wants to like get one little piece of information off of it, well, there's a certain latency, you know, associated with that, right? It's not uh, running with a bunch of uh, commands queued up and waiting in a, in a line. It's just like, one request out of nowhere. So the SSD is kind of sitting there idle, and then you ask it to do something. And it has to spin up everything, right? It has to send that address on, you know, translate it, send it on to the flash, get the response back from the flash. And if you're running at a higher queue, uh, you know, latencies are a little bit different 
how they respond because the SSD can do things in parallel. When you only do queue of one, you're basically doing like what is the how how what is the absolute fastest that the SSD can respond to that one I/O. Um, and what I found is that the 48 layer stuff uh, is actually not only coming in faster uh, in 4K random than the previous version of the 850 Evo, it's coming in faster than a one terabyte 850 Pro, uh, which is interesting. So in other words, the TLC flash SSD on 48 layer is actually more nimble and, and faster to respond in most cases than the, uh, even the MLC Pro model of the same back on the 32 layer stuff. So well, don't give it all away right now. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's, that's like stuff. That's like the big part of it. There's gonna be much more detail in the results, but like it's just interesting that you know the newer one on, on TLC is still managing to beat the older one on MLC, even though the TLC one has like half the number of dies on it. So cool stuff. That is cool. Do we have uh, questions? Uh, ask me, does uh, AMD have enough of a, an advantage in HBM to gain market share? And my answer to that is sort of. I mean, obviously, uh, they had an HBM1 implementation with Fiji. Unfortunately, Samsung uh, SK Hynix uh, didn't get um, mass production done quick enough with HBM2 for them to integrate it with Polaris. So they're going to be on the same memory ground as NVIDIA. And, uh, you know, by the time next year rolls around, or maybe in late October of this year, maybe, we'll see some HBMM2, uh, they're going to probably have been caught up because uh, it's the thing about memory specifications, this thing called JDAC, and they put out this information for everybody. And so even though AMD has more experience with it, NVIDIA can catch up pretty quickly. And one terabyte per second of bandwidth is, is a lovely, lovely thing with 8 gigs to 16 gigs to 32 gigs of memory on a single interposer. So I don't know. It's going to be touch and go. They potentially could have more experience there and uh, better implementations but um, I think it's going to be a wash. So next question, Alan. Did you see anything else? Uh, people asking me what I've got like coming up for testing. Uh, I was waiting on a package to come in, which I think will come in tomorrow, which will enable me to plug 64 terabytes into a single 8-bay Drobo. So I'm going to do that. Wow. How are they... Filled? Did they spin at a higher pitch? Uh, they will be helium-filled. Nice. And they will not be enterprise drives. They will be consumer helium-filled drives. Which will be That's interesting. That's a lo lovely thing. That's a lovely idea. I really, really like that idea. Um, so I'm going to plug those drives into everything we have here that has 8 bays and basically see what happens. But... The new Drobos are supposed to have firmware that can do up to 64 terabytes of capacity on a single volume. Uh, the, the old Drobos had a limit of 16 per, per volume. So if you had more than 16 terabytes worth of stuff like storage plugged into it, you could, it would still work, but you'd have to make multiple volumes on that same set of disks. Um, now, with the 64 terabyte volume, you don't have to worry about that. Until like 10 terabyte 
drives come out, and then you put 80 terabytes of storage into a Drobo. And then I guess they'll have to come out with another update. I don't know. Okay, yeah, another guy asked, uh, a data USA SP550, are you ever going to review that? Or do we have any contacts with a data? They're very inexpensive SSD drives. Uh, a data Premier SP550, I need to see if that's the one that I have. That's one with the silicon motion controller, right? Yeah, you know, those might have been the ones that came in back when I was in Tampa for a month. And they might have gotten, like, fallen off the list. So I might have to dig them up and see what's what. Uh, but I think we have those. I'll have to check. Hey, uh, viability of uh, RAM disk drives now that you can get 32 gigs. Think about this. You can get 32 gigs of DDR4 for 120 bucks right now. That's pretty good. That's so cheap. I was looking good. on Newegg earlier. I'm like, are you serious? 118.99 on like I think it was on Amazon. Yeah, dollars. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. But but uh, four eight gig sticks. Reliability of RAM disk drives? They're only as reliable as your power. Uh, viability. Oh, like viability? applications that use them, like for scratch disks and things. I mean, it's kind of a pain. You have to have something that runs at startup, and it has to pull all the data off of somewhere on your SSDs, presumably. Um, Hopefully SSDs, because if it's hard disks, it's gonna Ooh. it's gonna take you a while. Bird to of Night asks, but is there a RAM disk drive that can host that RAM? Hmm. What if you loaded everything off of a RAM disk onto another RAM disk? Onto another RAM disk? Well, then when the power goes out, you really no, just plug it into a UPS. It'd be fine. Oh yeah, yeah, it'd be fine. You never like spawn your system never blue screens or spontaneously reboots or absolutely anything. not. No. It never happens. That's not acceptable. That's not reliability. Not even no, when he hot swaps no. his CPUs. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> the monitor is always system. on. I don't know what you mean by this blue screen thing. Like the monitor light is on. <laughs> I don't. I run my system headless. I don't need to worry about blue screens. Ah, uh, things like that. What else? What else do we got? Who, who else? Uh, anybody else ask anything? That, um, I missed. If somebody asked something recently. Uh, what is the future? What is the future? Oh wait, what is the future of RAM? In the next year or two. Uh, Prices are going down. Yeah, it's super, super well, cheap memory. Uh, I mean, two by eight gigs for fifty bucks. I think a special I saw today of DDR three twenty four hundred. I don't it's need any RAM, and I want RAM now. Like, no, I just posted that today. Uh, they were talking with uh, the guy from, I believe it was Nanya. Yeah, the president of Nanya is saying. The prices have dropped twenty to thirty percent over this year. I popped on Camel, Camel, Camel just to grab one particular good example, which was thirty-two gigs of Corsair Vengeance LPX DDR4 two six six six, which launched at the very affordable price of. Come on, load ya. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering uh, what's going to happen over the next couple of years with RAM in general, with the, given that the cross-point stuff might be coming down the pike. Oh, there we go. So it launched at $639.99. It is currently retailing today for $169.99, which for 32 gigs of RAM is not bad. And so he's expecting to see the same sort of price drop unless uh, the competition picks up their game a little bit, which could well happen now that uh, Micron's recovered from the little oopsie, Hynix, Samsung, if they start cranking it out, we could see 25 to 40% drop. This is a wonderful thing. Yeah. 
my own question, Alan, I think about storage would be, are, are we kind of finally at those pre-flood prices like per gig for spinning media? Uh, I feel like it was yeah, cheaper drives, than yeah. it is now even. Yeah, I think we're, I haven't like, you know, done like a direct comparison, but I think we're at least at those levels. If not, I mean, with these new drives coming out, which is just going to push everything down a little bit further, uh, we're probably doing better than that now, I would think. Because um, those, uh, what was it, eight terabyte helium filled uh, reds are supposed to be like, wasn't it like three hundred? I think I had the MSRP. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think they were like three hundred a piece. So three hundred bucks for eight terabytes is actually pretty darn good. Um, has to be pre full. I mean, just just going off of like the steady price drop over time of of uh, spinning disk capacity. I think we might actually be even caught up to that. Like, in other words, as if the flood never happened. Um, Took long enough. Yeah, I mean, they had to, you know, they they lost a lot of infrastructure there. Like yeah, when, cleaning a clean room is not easy. When you, when you, <laughs> fl- when you flood a hard disk manufacturer clean room, it's you're pretty much scrap the clean room and you build a new building or you just rip all the guts out of that building and you refill it with new stuff because, like, the flood would have just, like, just all that gear and that gear is all extremely heavy it's almost like fab gear like it's it's you can't just like pick it up off the ground and oh no don't let the flood water hit this thing well just it's like several tons for like each machine that's like doing a given you know step in the process for like sputtering platters and and stuff like that what about the warranties because you know right after the the flood once kind of hard drives came back online then it was, oh, we're offering a one- or two-year warranty now when we used to have hard drives with, like, four- and five-year warranties. Uh, I think Is that, that ever coming back? I think, well, you still see, like, consumer stuff on hard disks has tended to drop between, like, one- and three-year warranties. And then, like, you'll see, isn't it, like, five-year on, like, Red Pros, I think? Um, they don't go to ten for anything. Uh, heck, not even Samsung is still 10. Like, they, they initially went crazy and said 10 years on, like, their initial, uh, I think, like, the first round of pros that came out. Um, and then later on, they changed it because they were just like, look, we're just get in line with the rest of everybody else that's doing their warranty claims. I don't think, I don't think they really changed that, like happened was when when like western digital came down on the warranty it was because like other companies did too mm-hmm. and i don't think they were really conspiring as much as like waiting for an excuse to lower it because they you know it was kind well, of i think high. the whole industry high. saw an excuse to lower it yeah yeah it is more or less what happened it's like all right that's it we can drop down to three yay let's all do it Did mtfb numbers ever really change or mtbf i mean like was it were there higher failure rates or just like you're saying like is it just Hey, we don't have to offer four years anymore. We yeah, I, I think I think the meantime between failure ended up being like the same. Like I don't think consumer drives all of a sudden came out with like a much lower meantime between failure on them or anything like anything crazy like that. Um, and just in my own experience with you know I always have like an array of some form or multiples of like spinning at my house. If drives are going to fail, they'll typically fail. Like. Uh, you know, you'll tend to see the infant mortality thing happen like within the first couple of months. If they're going to fail sh- soon, it'll happen like, you know, due to if there's some defect or some little piece of dust floating around inside that they missed during manufacturing or something like that, 
it's going to wreak havoc within the first short amount of time of you using it. Or if there's some electronic on it that's just going to, you know, defect that's just going to pop early, chances are it's going to happen early, like um, within the first couple of months. So, you know, then, then you get to the point where it, they just start to fail, like, because they're old, right? Like the curve starts to go back up as, as time goes on to like four or five, six. I mean, I've had hard drives that spun for like six years continuously. Years and years, man. Like, yeah, yeah. And, um, hey, I have a two gigabyte drive in my basement that works just fine. Well, I got a poor old uh, Velociraptor that must be going for eight or nine years now. Yeah, and heck, poor thing never gets a rest. That's spinning even faster. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's not as heavy, but, uh, it's definitely spinning, you know, 10,000 RPM compared to like reds or whatnot that are spinning like. 5400. Hey, best development in hard drive technology ever. Uh, getting rid of that annoying high-pitched whine. From the Velociraptors? No, from any hard drive. Think back to those old, like, you know. Oh, the two-gig two- Mac stores? Yeah. Oh, like that yeah. that sound yeah. that just, if you were sensitive to high-pitched noise, just your PC being on, like, Quantum. all I could ever hear was the hard drive. But I always knew if I was being infected with something, because I could hear the hard drive crank <laughs> up when it shouldn't be cranking up. I'm like, eh, there's something wrong there. Oh, no, my hard it's, drive is being uh, Hey, encrypted. your system is optimizing. Yeah, yeah, it's the auto-defrag. Now, um, the Velociraptors, if you have a sensitive ear for it, you, they'll, they still have a bit of a squeal to them, but that's just because of the, the speed of the discs. Like ten thousand RPM is just going to give you like a relatively high pitch, you know, high out of the discs. But um, yeah, I'll have to see how this helium thing pans out. I'm gonna as soon as they show up, I'm gonna run like one of them through all the test suite and just do like a one to one comparison between like a six terabyte red and a terabyte helium red, um, and just see what the differences are, like power consumption, if I can get the thing to cooperate. Um, to measure it, stuff like that. But uh, then I'll start, you know, making everything 64 terabytes, basically, and see if it works or if it breaks or whatever. Cool. Uh, what else we got for questions? Or are we done? I think we may be done. We're, we're what, an hour and 15 minutes or so? Hour and a half, even. Oh, cool. Yeah, close enough. Because we started exactly on time. Of course, we always do. Uh, it wasn't too bad. I started uh, turning the knobs like a half an hour before we were supposed to start. And it takes some people a while to warm up. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one way to say it. Oh. Friction friction warms you up, Alan. But, uh, were we yeah, gonna... we haven't heard our for Picks of the Week. Yeah, we got to do Picks of the Week, right? Yeah. All right. So anyway, Ryan. Uh, Ryan has a pick. He picks nothing. Well, he's not here. He doesn't Thank pick. you. Yeah, he doesn't get to pick anything. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> I say good day. Ryan's pick yes. is GDC in general. Yeah. I guess. So he's getting wine and dine and liquored up. We'll see what happens after that. Jeremy, what you got? Donate to our people. Get him out of jail. Yes. Yeah. So a couple of the commenters poo-pooed this. I am still very happy with this. We finally have a quantum dot monitor. Philips just released the first QLED display. Uh, the name just spills up 276E6ADSS. Uh, but it is kind of boring in that it's not the most beautifully designed stand. It's 27 inch 1080p display. 
but it's QLED. So you get 99% of Adobe RGB, which is significantly bigger in this standard sRGB that you're looking for, for $300. No, it is not the best thing out there on the planet. It doesn't have variable refresh. It's not 4K. It's not ultra-wide. But it's a professional-level color gamut being displayed for 300 bucks, And it's brand-new technology. It, it, and I want to see what the high-end ones are like. Because instead of having to pay a crap load for a fancy white LED uh, so that you can get proper color display, you can throw whatever the hell you want behind there, but use the, the a quantum dot-laced uh, film over top of it, which is what actually blocks the light or lets it through, gives you the proper whites, blacks, and all of various colors. Hell, you might even actually see cyan on this thing. It's interesting, and this is the very first one that's come out. Guaranteed, you will see a lot more of these uh, come to market, especially at the prices that they're offering for such a large panel. It, it's going to be interesting to see, because as I said in the title... This is going to be the year in the monitors. I mean, the 20 million to 1 contrast ratio that this thing has is going to get blown out of the way uh, by the HDR monitors we're going to kind of see coming up. Uh, 5K might be interesting, might not be for some, but there's just so much other adaptive sync. Like this year, save your monies, upgrade your monitors. With quantum dots. It didn't Samsung talk about quantum dot at last year's CES, like CES 20? For backlights for consumer TVs? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that gets talked about a lot on and off for consumer Because they were talking like HDR and their quantum dot. That might be how they're getting their their wide gamut. Um, You can do that with backlighting too, but... You can. Yeah, but it's more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what the problem is. So I think like it, it might actually be in some just consumer sets already. It just like... They kind of don't make that big of a deal out of it for some reason. Like, Fair I point. I don't know why. It's just, granted, it's just a layer that's behind blue LEDs, right? Yep. Isn't it? Like you just use blue, and then it's making green and red from the blue, like some of the blue light that's coming through, and it just makes it's able to make a really, really deep blue or deep red and green, um, you know, of a specific wavelength uh, that lets you get like the really wide gamut. You know, and blue LEDs, as everybody is aware, have really bright light output for a given amount of current. As you could tell by any company that tries to put a snazzy blue LED for their power indicator on something, and you're blinded by it constantly and like sticking pieces of tape over it. Um, I really wish those companies knew what a resistor was because they could just stick it <laughs> in line with that thing and like maybe make it a little bit dimmer. It just anyway. Um, yeah, like I don't think it's I don't think it's like a you know a thing that ends up on a spec sheet of of a lot of these sets. Like I don't know why. I think they just say oh it's UHD or whatever the you know that they're using. Like because oh, they'd much rather sell you on the yellow pixel that they've added. Uh, that was a terrible. Remember mistake. Takai selling you on that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and those TVs sat at Best Buy while the Samsung TVs sold out. So yeah. Josh, you got a pick? I do have a pick. Fun, cool quad core CPU for what? Less than hundred bucks. Ninety-three dollars. It's an AMD eight eighty K. I just got one of these in for testing. They look 
pool. It uses uh, still like a very um, excavator architecture, but uh, it's clocked up uh, pretty high. And it's dirt cheap. Put that on a dirt cheap FM2 motherboard. You can run any single GPU as fast as you really want, unless it's something really, really nasty in terms of game. But otherwise, you get what you pay for. And uh, it seems like it's a solid, solid little product for not a whole lot of money. Huh. Alan, do you have anything, or are you just going to slam it? I actually do, uh, and I was like, I did the typical Ryan thing, and like, you know, walked around the office and went, oh, crap, like, what's a good pick? And found something that's actually a pretty good pick that, like, I take for granted, because I have, like, five of these things at home. I'm all over the office, and we're using them all the time. If you're the kind of person that has any computer gear... Uh, testing and open, especially. Uh, this is kind of a hack. Since it's supposed to just be a cheesy desk fan, this is a USB powered. It has a little like extractor. Thermal take. Thermal take makes these. It's just they're like a desk fan. It's like an extract or uh, retractable USB cord, um, and it's just a USB powered fan. But it's just the fact that it's like one self-contained thing with a knob on it that lets you adjust. You know how fan you how fast you want the fan to spin, and you can just plug it into the USB port of whatever that piece of hardware is that's sitting right there. Typically, it's bed for us, or in the case of my basement, it's my NAS, which does not have a permanent home yet, and it's just kind of sitting out in the open with like a row of hard disks sitting on a table. And I needed fans to blow across them lest they start overheating. Um, so I just like took a couple of these guys and popped them right there on the desk, and they have a stand built into them, so they just kind of sit flat on a desk. Um, and they're like they're like a little bit over ten bucks. Um, they so, come with you know. that uh, metal shield. Yeah, they come with a shield on the front and the back, and the shield on the front is d- mm. built into uh, you know this just like simple metal stand. It just sits, you know, sits on whatever desk. You can kind of manipulate the stand a little bit if you want to get an angle on it. You just kind of you know tweak the metal a little bit. Um, but you know, for like twelve bucks a pop. That they they are a lot more useful than you would think, um, and also you can just use it as a as kind of desk fan, you know. Nice. So it's USB uh, powered. Yeah, just USB powered fan. It gets up to a decent speed, uh, given that it's only getting five volts. Can does it have a switch on it, or does it it's, run it's at a, a very low speed? Oh no, it's a. Let's go to pot. It's an it's a pot. It's proportional. Oh, perfect. I was yeah. just thinking, like you could with that little frame. Like put a screw on your wall and put one of those behind your like flat panel TV if you have like a it's, plasma. Yeah, it's actually and give yourself a little bit of better cooling. Oh yeah, on your TV. Yeah, it would totally be perfect for that. Because um, most TVs now have USB, you could draw enough power to run that fan. Probably. Yeah. yeah the USB, I wonder if the yeah. Suon Q has a USB outlet on it. Just in case there's getting a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> you know, I think you, it does. You do, you're, you're using it, and then there's like, what's that? Oh, nothing. It's, I'm like just a, trying to stay cool. I'm just it's, yeah, I'm, I'm cooling off. My forehead isn't hot. Cooling off that 35 <laughs> watts. I got to dissipate it somehow, and I don't want it to go like directly into the forehead. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, you know, cool little thing. Nice, pretty cheap. Nice. Um, I think a couple of CESs ago, they were basically giving them away to whoever would take them. But cool. Uh, Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian. Hey, so if you have played around with. Uh, or Wii emulation at all, uh, you've used Dolphin, which is a wonderful program for Windows. It's free. And Dolphin, in addition to letting you up-res and make 
we uh, we uh, not we GameCube games is what I've been trying out. They look spectacular upres, by the way, running them at 1080p. But to get that real experience, uh, you could buy a cheap adapter on Amazon, or uh, to use your original controller, or you can get actually Nintendo makes a product called the Wii U. Uh, I think it's the Super Smash Brothers Wii U GameCube adapter. It's twenty dollars on Amazon. I linked it, and you'll see it in the show notes. This thing using a a driver that's on the wiki page that I also linked. Uh, you just plug it into your computer. You install this driver real quick, and now you can natively support up to four GameCube controllers on your PC with the uh, vibration and everything intact. Instantly, just recognizes all the correct buttons. And then you can use Dolphin to up-res the games so that you don't have to have a Wii U. You can play any of those old GameCube titles up-res, and they look absolutely fantastic. I tried out Zelda Wind Waker because, of course, Wii U has a HD edition, and I can make mine look basically the same. There was some changing like for the shadows that they did for the Nintendo one, but mine runs at 1080p, no problem. Looks fantastic, 60 frames a second. Same with uh, any of the other games like could drag out of my basement like all-star baseball 2004 looks phenomenal it looks like a night like a 2007 pc game so anyway 20 dollars. play around with it these things are free these things are very handy if you have these games and do not want your children to destroy them because then you could just emulate the whole thing and it'll look better absolutely Uh, nagus in the chat says is it illegal no no if you all if you own the game i'm talking only using the GameCube discs that I own and buy their adapter so I can use the controller on my TV and I'm just using Dolphin to play the game instead of my GameCube, which I also own. So, I don't believe that's a violation of fair use at all. Well, I mean, the, the, the only time it gets in a gray area is like, if you know, I don't know. I guess technically it's a gray even if you own the stuff, but I think it's that no one's ever... Do we ever really own anything no, anymore? No one's going to ever enforce that. If Apparently you actually, not. If you own all the stuff and, like, what, you know, somebody knocks on your door, like, ooh, what do you got, you know? And It's like, look, you, you I'll just have... I'll hook up the GameCube to my TV in the living room and show them how bad the output composite cables on my GameCube, because I'm not one of the fortunate few who has a component out for that, which, if you can find it, is outrageous. Like, literally $100 for this cable for the game mm. on the aftermarket like used and that's so, not even monster yeah yeah it's Those so monster so, prices to be though. able to actually view these games uh, at whatever internal resolution you want is fantastic i'm sure nintendo would rather you buy a wii u and rebuy these games but i don't want to wii u wii u wii u very Plus, nice i can use my pc i can justify having it even yeah. though i rarely have time for yeah, who who does? Uh, anyway, that's that's our podcast. Uh, it lasted longer than we expect, which is probably a good thing considering the people involved. Know what I'm saying? Right. Mm. You can say find no this more. Podcast say no more. And more at pcper.com slash pod. You can uh, and at twitter.com slash Ryan Trout or twitter.com slash pcper. And with that, we are finally finished with this very very painful episode. Episode 391, recorded on March 16th, 2016. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm free! Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Sebastian Peake. And with that, 
I'm going to wish you a fond good night because there's something calling and I think an animal made a really bad mess behind me. <laughs> <laughs>